Hello, and welcome to Dyslexia Devoted, the podcast dedicated to building awareness, understanding, and strategies to help those with dyslexia. I'm your host, Lisa Parnello, dyslexia therapist and founder of Parnello Education Services. This show features information, stories, candid interviews, and experiences with dyslexia at all ages. Join me as we dive into today's episode of Dyslexia Devoted. Welcome back. Students with dyslexia typically need remediation, but what does that mean? And what does it look like? Welcome to episode four of Dyslexia Devoted, where we will be talking all about the different aspects of reading remediation. This episode actually comes from a parent request this week. A mom mentioned that she trusts what I do, but doesn't quite understand how it all works. So if you have questions, send them my way, and they might just make their way into a future episode. What helps one person often helps many. Our topics today will be including undoing bad habits, parts of reading remediation, and connecting the rules of reading to spelling. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you know that my online course goes into more detail about reading remediation, so if you want more details than you find in this episode, more content is going to be in the online course. I'm about to unlock module two, and you can find the link with the info about the course in the show notes for this episode. Our first topic is undoing bad habits. That's actually how most reading remediation starts. And the number one bad habit is guessing. It takes a long time to unlearn that strategy that doesn't work. That often is the main strategy students are taught to use when they don't know a word. Look at the picture, think about the sentence, what would make sense there, and guess what word that probably is. Maybe look at the first letter. And that habit is a very hard habit to break. It is often much harder to unlearn something than it is to learn it right the first time. Sometimes it can take me weeks, months, or even sometimes a year to break the habit of guessing when I first start working with a student. Another bad habit is lack of confidence. And you may not think that that's a habit, but it is. If over and over and over again, a student thinks, I can't do this, and it's been shown to them, they really can't do it using the strategies they've been taught, They slowly lose more and more confidence, and it's a hard thing to rebuild. Rebuilding that confidence is so important to build back up that part of them that has been broken down by sometimes years of failure, depending on when they get caught. The younger a student is when you catch them with their dyslexia and their need for more intensive interventions, the less undoing is necessary. But if I don't get a kid till fifth or sixth grade, There's a lot of years of undoing of both the habits of guessing, but also that feeling of being a failure, of not being able to do it. And it's really important that the first thing you do is build up that confidence that you can do it and that guessing isn't a strategy that's going to work. So let's try something that does. You've been trying that way for a long time. And how's it worked for you? Not very well. So what can we do differently now? Next is to build up a rapport because no student is going to trust you right off the bat especially when every teacher before them has told them they're not trying hard enough or if they just work a little harder or they can do it if they just put their mind to it. And it's really hard for them to really believe you and trust you when every other teacher before them has not actually shown them strategies that really help them learn how to read. So that's actually the first thing that I do when I start working with a new student is build up that rapport and help them understand that I'm there to help them and that they are not going to get in trouble for making mistakes and that the only thing they would get in trouble for is having a bad attitude. They just have to come in and try their best, and they will never be judged for not knowing the answer or not knowing how to read, and that's actually why they come to me, is to learn how to ask for help and to learn how to read and be okay with making mistakes until we get there. 
So now to look more closely at reading remediation itself. What does it look like? Most reading remediation for kids with dyslexia is based on the Orton-Gillingham approach. The Orton-Gillingham approach was established long ago as being one of the most effective ways to help kids with dyslexia learn how to read, back when they used to call it word blindness, and they thought it was a vision problem. Orton-Gillingham helped discover that it's more than that. It's more about the approach that is being taken to teach kids to read, and it has nothing to do with vision. That Orton-Gillingham approach has been long trusted to be one of the most effective strategies to work with kids with dyslexia. So a lot of different programs for reading remediation are based on the original Orton-Gillingham methods. And so there's all sorts of different programs that there are. So there's the original Orton-Gillingham, there's Wilson, there's Slingerland, and several others that are all based on that same methodology of explicitly teaching the phonics and how words work in order to teach kids with dyslexia how to read. So the first step is to learn the sounds. And so everybody thinks the kids learn the sounds in kindergarten, but sometimes they don't really learn them or they don't learn them accurately. For example, they might say k instead of k. And so a student doesn't know that there's no uh sound at the end of all those letter sounds. So it's not b b. There's no uh if I say bat. I don't hear an uh sound anywhere in that word. And so sometimes it's a matter of reteaching students the sounds to be more articulate and say them more accurately so that when they go to sound outwards, it makes more sense. Sometimes students are lacking the knowledge of certain letter patterns, and so they might know some sounds, but then they don't know others. They might know all the basic letters of the alphabet, but they may not know the letter combinations such as TH or SH, or there's a student I was working with this week that didn't know the letters Q and U and didn't know what sound they made when they went together. Typically, when I start with a student, that's the first thing that I will do is assess what sounds they really know and know accurately and which ones they don't, and then from there, start teaching them the sounds. It's important to understand So teaching them the sounds is not something we just start with the little kids. I might have a fifth grader or even an eighth grader that I will start all the way back at the sounds and really help them understand how the sounds work. And it has nothing to do with their age. It's all about remediating some of those skills and building a strong foundation. Just like a house, if you don't have a strong foundation, everything falls apart and nothing else matters after that. So starting from scratch and really rebuilding the parts that may not have been built accurately the first time around and strengthening up their weaknesses is the first thing you can do before you can really go on into any other new skills. Additionally, I'll also work on the mouth formations for the sounds because a lot of times the kids don't understand letters like what you would see as an F and a TH and the way that they actually sound different. A lot of times kids will mix them up because they sound very similar in the ears. And so if you can show them the way they look and feel with their mouth, with their with a mirror or with mimicking me, then the students will be able to have that multi-sensory approach, just like we talked about in the Orton-Gillingham research of using more multi-sensory methods and knowing how sounds feel and look, not just seeing the letters on the paper. Because a lot of dyslexia actually has nothing to do with what's written on the page. It's about the way they hear sounds and process the language information, even before they look at the letters. So if a student is saying, I think, they're going to spell F-I-N-K. So you need to teach them what think looks like and help them feel it first, because otherwise when they go to sound out the words, they're going to write down what they hear themselves say, even if they're not saying it accurately, which means they're not going to spell it accurately. After they learn the sounds, students start working on reading those sounds within words and not guessing and starting at really small three-letter words. Once again, no matter how old they are, starting at those foundations and seeing how you sound out those words and apply the new sounds and sound them out correctly without all those extra uhs in with their letter sounds. 
So while they're sending them out, we also want to keep reinforcing that idea of they're not guessing. It's a really hard habit to break, but we want to keep them from guessing on those words and make them go back and do it again and really sound them out and not just feed them the answer if they made a mistake. Help them apply it to themselves. After they learn how to read a pattern with real words, we'll also work on nonsense words. Not everyone agrees with the use of nonsense words, but there's definitely a purpose. You can't guess nonsense words, and so a lot of times kids, especially those who've been coping with their dyslexia and have learned to memorize by sight what words look like, they can spout off a bunch of words just because they've seen them once or twice before. If you give a student a nonsense word, they can't do that. They have to actually apply their skills to that word because it's not one that they've seen before, so they can't guess on it, and it gives a more accurate measurement of what a student is actually able to do with their skills. This one is something that not everyone agrees with, but I find it absolutely essential because they are going to encounter words in future books that they've never heard of before, but they're still going to have to read them. Especially if they're reading a science book or a history book, those words often sound like nonsense because the kids have never heard about any of these topics before. They're learning something brand new. So what are you going to do when you learn about something brand new if you're expected to only sound out words you've seen before? Being able to use those nonsense words helps kids practice what to do when they eventually read a book that is really unfamiliar to them. And I like to equate this to the fact that I can go read a Stanford Law book and I can read every word in it. Do I have any idea what it means? No. But then I just need somebody to teach me the content or teach me the vocabulary but I can read the book. I can read the information. And while I may not have all the background knowledge to really understand it, I would at least know how to read any textbook that I can pick up. It might take me a little more work. I might be a little slower at it because it doesn't make sense to me, but I could do it. And I want the kids to understand that even if it takes them a little more work, they can do it. They can read about unfamiliar topics and then ask somebody, hey, what does this word mean? As opposed to, I don't know, I can't read it. I've never heard of that word before, so I can't read it. And we want to give them strategies so that when they learn new skills and learn new strategies and learn new informational topics, that all they have to do is expand their vocabulary, not learn how to read over again with more challenging words. In order to build up to those more challenging words, kids have to understand syllables and they have to pay attention to the sounds in those small words. And once they're able to really pay attention to the sounds and stop guessing and sound out those smaller one syllable words, then we teach kids how to break words into little chunks within the word and break them into syllables. And we teach the students one syllable type at a time and they build onto each other. They go in a very clear sequence. It's not arbitrary so that each time they learn a syllable, they'll learn a new pattern to it. They'll learn the exceptions to that rule because of course in English, every time there's a rule, there's an exception, but that just happens in life. Every time there's a rule or a law, somebody's going to break it. So we teach the kids the basic rules and also the exceptions to those rules. And there's more details on that in the online course that you can really see some examples because teaching how to break apart words is something you really need to see. It's not really something you can hear on a podcast. So be sure to check out the online course for more details on what those syllable types are. As students are learning how to read the words and read the syllables, we also teach them the meaning within words. And that is the etymology or the history behind words. And if you want to know more about the history behind words, Or if you have a word and you don't understand where it came from or why it's spelled like that, there's actually an etymology online website that I've linked in the show notes for you so you can actually learn the history behind words. That really helps when a kid is trying to learn how to spell a word is if they know the origin. So if you think about a spelling bee, you'll often hear them say, and what's the origin when they're asking how to spell a word at a spelling bee? Because the origin matters. I know if something comes from Greek, it probably has a PH for the F sound. If I know something comes from Latin, I know the root words in Latin. And so if somebody can tell me the meaning, I can figure out 
how I would spell something, even if it's a word I'm not really familiar with, just based on that word origin. And teaching the meaning also helps for vocabulary instruction. If students can look at the meaning of those syllables within the word, then if they encounter a new word in that science or history class, but they know the word parts within it and what each part of the word means, then they automatically can do better on their vocabulary tests. And since the world isn't really about tests, they can also do better in their courses because when they find a new word, like if I'm doing hydroponics, if somebody teaches them the word hydro means water, or word part, not technically a word, that means water, they know hydroponics had something to do with water. By teaching kids those Latin and Greek words, it really prepares them for reading about new topics so that while they've never heard of before, they can get a basic understanding of what some of those words mean, even before they've asked anybody for help. Now into our last section of our episode, which is all about how this all ties into spelling patterns. One of the big things with reading remediation is we're not actually just teaching reading. We're also teaching spelling patterns. Everything that's taught for reading is also taught for spelling. As they're learning a pattern for reading, they also spend time going in reverse and learning how to spell it, all the way back to the sounds. If I give you a sound, do you know all the ways to spell it? For example, if I say k, do you know you have three choices? It could be a c, a k, or a ck. Or much further along, it could even be a q-u-e, like as in click, like there's a group of people in a click. Teaching them those spelling options really makes it important for them as they're going through so that not only can they read when they go to writing class and they go to write a story or an essay, then they know what their choices are when they're spelling. Students learn those spelling options, and while there are a lot of patterns of how we can spell different sounds in our language, not all of them are options. While there are a lot of patterns to make different sounds, sometimes they're not always an option. For example, ch. I would never use TCH to start a word. So I know if it starts with a ch, I'm going to use a ch. Even though there's another option, it's not really a choice if I hear it at the beginning of the word. So a lot of what we do is also narrow down those options so it doesn't seem so overwhelming. If they know, sure, there's five sounds that are five combinations of letters that can make that word, those five combinations can really easily get narrowed down to just two options. And then they can look at it and say, oh, this one doesn't look right. This doesn't match what I have in my memory of words that I've seen in books before. And they can narrow it down and teaching them how to do that. And just like reading, we also teach the kids how to apply those syllables when they spell, how to break the words down to one syllable at a time. Don't just try to write the whole word. Once again, that can take some time because the kids are so used to guessing and just writing it as quickly as they can just to get it over with because they hate writing so much that it takes some time to get them to slow it down, break it one syllable at a time, listen to all the sounds they hear in those syllables, and then write them. Students also learn how to form their letters properly. There are students that frequently come to me without even knowing how to make proper letter shapes. Oftentimes, they'll write from the bottom up, which is a less efficient way of writing, and they will frequently mix up B and D and P and Q. And you have to think about that with the idea that if I look at a table, no matter what angle I'm looking at, or if the table's right side up or upside down, it's still a table. And for a kid with dyslexia, that's basically what happens with letters. They look at them and it all looks the same to them because it's just changing the angle, but it should just make the same sound, right? Don't they all look the same? And helping them see that they don't look the same. And as you're teaching letter formation, you can teach it in a way that they form each letter differently. The way they start a B is not the way they start a D. And to help them understand the strategies to make sure that they're writing the correct one and see the subtle differences between the letters. 
and understanding that when you turn it, it does mean something completely different, unlike when they go to look at a table. It doesn't mean something different if I look at a table at different angles, but if I look at a letter at a different angle, it can make a huge world of difference. Sometimes we'll do some visual discrimination activities or games to help the kids really play around and understand the different ways that you can look at letters and decide which one it is. And sometimes we'll do little rewards. Um, If it's an older kid, I've definitely bribed them with gummy bears before for each time that they get their letter correct and can remember the right one in order to remind them to pay a little bit more attention and recognize those subtle differences between words. And it's amazing what the power of gummy bears will do. For the little kids, sometimes it's smelly stickers. I've learned the middle schoolers don't really care so much for smelly stickers, but gummy bears, big winners. Or M&Ms or Skittles. You got to find your candy currency. All right. So wrapping up for today's episode, the first thing that we do in reading remediation is breaking those bad habits and building up their confidence. Help them understand they can be amazing readers. Next, we learn how words work with those sounds, the syllables, and the meaning within words. And lastly, we apply those skills and newfound knowledge to spelling options. And while this is not an exhaustive list, and there's many more things you can learn in reading remediation, this is just the tip of the iceberg. So if you want more details, go check out my online course, and you'll learn more about dyslexia and those structured reading programs. And you'll also learn more details about what happens in reading remediation that I wasn't able to include in the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Dyslexia Devoted. Join us for our next episode by subscribing to this podcast as we devote each episode to different aspects of dyslexia. See you next time.